0: quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com this podcast is part of the Sports social podcast network of the let's talk football podcast i'm your host billy powell and today we are back bringing you another game week roundup from of course game week 27 it was a bit of a bizarre week a few strange results and some very boring games but getting straight into it we'll start off with arsenal's trip up to burnley from an Arsenal fan's perspective, I think this was probably one of the most frustrating games of the season. They got off to a great start when Aubameyang took the lead just six or so minutes into the game. And then they had some really good chances after that, but they just couldn't put them away. And then we all know what happened just five minutes before halftime. If you don't know what happened, go and check it out on YouTube or something, because what on earth was Granite Xhaka thinking? Arsenal are so adamant of playing out from the back but teams just pressed them forcing them into mistakes which with players like Chaka and David Luiz etc they're bound to make mistakes they've always got a mistake in them um saying that though despite that dodgy pass from Chaka which saw the ball hit off Chris Wood and go into the goal um Arsenal actually played some really nice football I think Arsenal seem to be getting into the groove a little bit. I thought they played really well. And on any other day, they'd have been able to stick two, three or even four past Burnley, which they just couldn't seem to do. On another day, Chaka would have cleared the ball. And on another day, Arsenal would have had a penalty. But it just wasn't to be for them on Saturday. But they're showing signs of positivity. And if they can get themselves on a good run in these next 12 or so games... I really don't think that European football is out of the question for them next season. Saying that, I do think that Arsenal will be prioritising the Europa League over the Premier League, just purely for the opportunity to be playing Champions League football next year, which, again, will also help them bring players in, you know. Next up, we had the Sheffield United against Southampton game at Bramall Lane, and well, it wasn't exactly the greatest game for a neutral viewer. But then again, not many Sheffield United games have been particularly enjoyable this season for a neutral. Southampton were absolutely the better team in this one and got their award after just 32 minutes when Saints youngster Nathan Tello was brought down in the box by Ethan Ampadu and then James Ward-Prowse was able to finish it away comfortably. One thing I need to say about this and Sheffield United, is that Sheffield United should take Liverpool to court for robbing 20 million off them for Brewster. I don't want to be too harsh and too critical on him because he is still very young, but my God, 20 million is just a ridiculous sum of money for someone that is so, so bad. (laughs) Um... In the second half, though, Che Adams scored a wonder goal from the edge of the box when he was able to beautifully volley the ball past Ramsdale. And that's how the game ended. A much needed win for the Saints. I mean, I'm looking at the table now in front of me and Southampton are just six points away from Fulham in the relegation zone. And with how well Fulham are doing, that win for Southampton was vitally important to keep themselves out of that relegation scrap. I don't think Southampton would have gone down anyways, but just imagine if they did. With all of the stop-the-count shirts the clubs were selling after after just eight games in the season, when they were at the top of the league, to potentially going down, I tell you what, I'd be in floods of tears laughing at them if, they happen, if that happened. But in all honesty, I really can't see it happening. Moving on, and Villa hosted Wolves in the next game of the day. In what was quite literally a tale of two halves that first half i really thought we played well created loads of chances and how the first half ended nil nil i don't think i will ever know but that second half was just completely different and it was almost like someone had just flicked a switch and just and just turned the shape of the head comp- shape of the game sorry completely on its head Once Sansom went off for Barkley on 60 Minutes is coincidentally when we got particularly bad and I don't think I will ever know for as long as I live how Roman Saiz didn't score from literally half a yard out, probably not even that. It was one of those that was harder to miss than actually score and somehow the ball came off his foot vertically and went over the bar. Then not long after that, Howler of a howler from uh, Roman Saez. Martinez proved yet again why he's the best keeper in the league when he somehow kept Cody's shot from two yards out from bulging the back of the net. Um, a draw. I I feel like Villa could have come away with something more. I feel like we could have come away with all three points. But considering that Saez chance and then the Cody chance just a couple of minutes later. We could quite easily have come away with nothing as well. So a draw was probably a fair result. I mean, we're just three points off Liverpool with two games in hand as well. So I will take that any day of the week. The final game on Saturday night was when Brighton hosted Leicester at the Amex. And the Seagulls got off to the perfect start when Adam Lalana got himself on the score sheet to make it 1-0 after just 10 minutes. And, oh my God, Brighton really are a funny team, aren't they? Because the way they play and some of the chances that they create, it sh- they should be fighting for European football. And I really do believe that with a better squad around him, Graham Potter could easily get aside to fight for the Europa League or even push into the Champions League spaces. And I think that the troubles that Bryson are having are because of the players rather than the manager. I think the players are doing the best that they possibly can but they're not; they're just not good enough, and it's really starting to show now, week in, week out. And Coletti and Atjo levelled the game after just the after after the hour mark. Sorry, before Daniel Amati got his head onto a Markle Brighton corner on 87 minutes, and was just able to tap it into an empty net. Really, um. It was a very well-taken goal and the way that Amati followed the ball all the way from the second that it left all Brighton's foot to the way he got down really low and was just able to tap it in with his head. It was just brilliant. It was a very well-taken goal but it was just too late for Brighton to really attack and fight for anything and fight to get an equaliser, sorry. So 2-1 to Leicester is how it ended and for Leicester, it's another poor performance where they come away with win. I don't know how they're doing it, but fair play to them. They they just keep on. <laughs> it's weird. Any bad performance, unless they somehow manage to come up with three points from nowhere. It's just crazy. But as I say, fair play to them. Sunday's early game was one of the most mind-numbingly boring games. I have seen in my 19 years of living on this planet and I don't think in however many years I have left on this planet I will see a more boring game. This game between Sam Allardyce's West Brom and Steve Bruce's Newcastle was painful to watch and that's being kind. It was absolutely desperate. The attacking play was just hideous and I think that Newcastle in particular should be very worried I think that West Brom have probably just given up and kind of accepted that they're going down. But Newcastle, man, they're just so lucky that they were able to get so many points earlier on in the season. Newcastle's top goal scorer going into the game was Jeff Hendrick, whose last shot on target was on the opening day of the season. That just tells you everything you need to know about the game. And it's no surprise that it ended nil nil and I think it would have been a bigger surprise actually if there had have been a goal going into this next one Liverpool had lost their previous five home games at Anfield which they would have been looking to try and sort out this week when Fulham travelled up to take them on and as I've said time and time and time again this year and throughout the season Fulham played some really good football It was an open, end-to-end game for the most part of the first half, after Liverpool also made about six or seven changes to the team. Trent, Fabinho, Mane and Roberto Firmino were all starting on the bench, and it cost them. Um, Mario Lamina, right on the stroke of half-time, dispossessed Mo Salah on the edge of the box following a Fulham corner, which uh, which Lamina was able to brilliantly finish away, sending the visitors 1-0 up going into the break. And I've always fancied Fulham to be the team to get out of it from early on in the season. They've been playing some good football, as you all know if you've been listening to the episodes, and they've been very unfortunate that the teams have just got the better of them. But I'm really happy for Scott Parker and Fulham that they have been able to get out of it and they are very, very close to getting themselves out of that relegation zone. One player that needs a mention for me, though, is Joachim Anderson. He's really impressed me over the season and he just looks to be a real rock at the back for Fulham this season. Just 24 as well and he's only there on a loan so it really wouldn't surprise me that come the end of the season, Leon had a lot of offers on the table for him. As for Liverpool, they pushed and pushed but that defence of Fulham's was just refusing to be broken down as Fulham came away with a massive, massive win meaning that they're now level on points with Brighton in 17th and just one point off Newcastle in 16th. Fair play to Scott Parker and his players for being able to pull themselves out of this after being written off for the majority of the season pretty much. The biggest game of the weekend was when Manchester United took on league leaders Manchester City in the Derby Day battle. Man City obviously 21 wins on the spin and as I said in previous episodes, I really didn't see them losing another game until the end of the season. And I didn't even see them losing even when Gabriel Jesus gave away a penalty in the first 30 seconds. Bruno Fernandes obviously stepped up and he's never missing. But after that, the way that Man City came out and approached the game was very similar to the way that they approached games earlier on in the season. Man City had a lot of the ball and were pinging it about well but they just couldn't seem to get a clear shot off or any real clear cut chance either. United defended well and had they not have gotten that early goal, it would have been another case of going out there to just not lose. But it always helps when you come up against a subpar man City side, rather than one that should be full of confidence after having winning 21 games on the bounce. Luke Shaw more or less sealed the win when he made it 2 0 just a few minutes into the after half time, sorry, into the second half. And that's how it did end. Not the best game to watch, I'll be honest. But Man United's first win in eleven games against the top six. So though they, they're not going to be disappointed, are they? And I suppose they can also call Manchester Red for a few days before they realise that Man City is still walking away with the league. The final game of the weekend was between Spurs and Crystal Palace. And well, Bale seems to be back to his best, doesn't he? And alongside a Harry Kane, who's just starting to hit form again after a slight dip, which comes just in time to face Arsenal next week and typically Villa the week after. But that third goal, Kane's first, was just sensational, wasn't it? From Kane just laying it off to the final shot for the goal, His movement is just phenomenal. And I mean, it's got to be to have the amount of goals he has throughout his career. But I just never really noticed how good it really was. Son as well, when he's not scoring, he's creating goals. And let's not forget about Regulon, who's got a beautiful delivery on him. And with Kane as well as Bale alongside him now, I just feel like a lot of goals are going to be scored by them. And a lot of goals have already been scored by them. Jose Mourinho said in his post-match interview that the fourth and final goals, Spurs goal sorry, marked 100 Spurs goals for the season. And for a so-called negative team, it's pretty impressive, isn't it, really? Getting away from Spurs for a second, though, let's talk about Palace for a bit. Um, Christian Benteke got their goal to level the tie at 1-1 just before half-time, which marked his fifth goal of the season. A big boost for Palace came when Wilfred Zaha was back on the bench and he actually came on at half-time. I was a bit disappointed that he came on for Eze though, but even so, seeing Zaha back would have been a massive relief for Palace fans. That win though moves Spurs up into 7th place, just 5 points off Chelsea in 4th, with a game in hand over them too. That game in hand is against Villa though, so hopefully they can't take advantage of it. That's all from me today, though. Thank you all very much for listening. Don't forget to check me out on Twitter and Instagram at LTFootballPod. Let me know your thoughts and opinions on the weekend's games. And I'll see you all back here on Friday for another episode. Find more great shows or join the team at sport social.co.uk. Sport Social Podcast Network.